I'm going to take my talents to South Beach and join the Miami Heat, LeBron James. everybody. Welcome to another episode of Felonious Pundits. I am Kintad Spinsgard, and along with me, with his decision, please say hello to Mr. A.J. Mass. And then I'm going to go to Cleveland. And then... <laughs> No, I'm not. I'm not going to win there. No, I'm going to go to L.A. Wait, I'm going to win there. Wait, where am I going to go? <laughs> hey, I need some other superstars to follow in my footsteps. Kevin Durant, where are you going? Uh, anyway, that's topical at the moment we're recording this, but by the time this is playing, (laughs) no titles till Brooklyn. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, AJ, uh, I should tell the folks what this podcast is about. It's a criminal minds podcast, the TV show criminal minds. Uh, each week we, uh, recap an episode And uh, I'm bringing to it a perspective of one who has never seen these episodes before. And uh, AJ is our grizzled veteran who has seen each and every episode plenty of times. So that's the perspective he'll be bringing for you guys. And this week, we're going to be talking about season three, episode 17, almost at the promised land, AJ. We're almost there, finishing out season three, but we have a few more to go. Uh, We are looking at episode 17, which is entitled In Heat. This episode was written by Andy Bushell and directed by John Gallagher, and it originally aired on April 30th, 2008. Do you have any uh, pre-show comments before we start here, AJ? 2008, man, we're still 14 years away. (laughs) Uh, I know, I know. Uh, all right, let's get through this. Let's get through this one. You're hot. We're hot. Some like it hot and some don't when the heat is on. All right. Let me power station my way through this. Okay. That was, you know, I try for these sometimes, AJ, and they're just stretches. We open in Miami. Miami. Yes, it is uh, a hot night in Miami. We see some steamy salsa dancing at a Miami club. We get the usual, oh, this is Miami uh, pictures. And so we know where we are. Uh, Lots of scantily clad folks dancing about. (laughs) Exactly. And we focus uh, all of a sudden on this woman in a blue dress. She's getting her groove on and she sort of saunters her way over to a uh, hot looking bartender that's uh, mixing the drinks a la cocktail. She slips him her number really as a, you know, she's flirty, flirty with this guy. And uh, he's looking at her, giving her a little link, a a little wink, a little link. She's giving her Zelda. Um, <laughs> Is that what she calls it? <laughs> <laughs> yes. So then we cut to Garcia, who Ooh. is arriving home 
and uh, looks like she's arriving home from a hard not night at work. But apparently she has no power when she tries to turn on her light. <laughs> a no power it's not station. Working. No power <laughs> station, exactly. And all of a sudden she is startled by our friend Xander, a.k.a. Kevin, who I will continue to call Xander for the rest of his and my mm-hmm. life. I can't stop it, uh, but it's I, Kevin. I, I, yeah, although it's 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 not just Kevin. It's it's often analyst Kevin Lynch. <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, he is there. He surprises Garcia. He's got a, a candlelight dinner. He thought since they couldn't meet up for dinner, he would bring dinner to over to her. While she doesn't appreciate being startled, uh, she does appreciate that he's there. Kevin starts to get kind of flirty. Speaking of flirty, he gets kind of flirty with the food. They do a thing with a strawberry where they share it between them. And quite frankly, food romance always kind of leaves me a little icked out. But okay, it is, yeah, it's it, what they're doing. It's very <laughs> awkward, this exchange. and like I, I don't think Nicholas Brandon is a very good actor. Cards <laughs> <All laughs> on the table. And so his character just consists of talking like this all the time. <laughs> and so he's like, I thought maybe perhaps we could, you know, go away on a vacation because you deserve a vacation. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he's he's pointing out that Garcia seems a little bit stressed. Um, and as you said, mentions they should go on a vacation. Then they start talking about doing something with whipped cream. And I'm thankful that they actually cut back to the blue dress lady (laughs) at this point. uh, Yeah. I was like, we're okay with sexiness and flirtatiousness on TV, but not when it's that awkward. I'm sorry. (laughs) At least we know uh, their relationship has gotten to the point, however, where, you know, she wasn't like, Oh my God, Kevin, what are you doing in my apartment? Clearly she's given him the key. So things have advanced very nicely between the two of them. Consent, give it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so we cut back to the bartender and the lady, and they're on a boat at this point, and they're making out. <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, one of them's dead because it's criminal minds, but it's a little bit of misdirection because there is a dead body, but it is neither sexy bartender or sexy woman in blue dress. It is a new body that pops up out of the water while they're making out. Woo! Start screaming. Scary, yeah. scary. Yeah, not just make it out. He was about to do some sort of sex move that I'm calling the Titanic on her. Because <laughs> <laughs> she was on the bow of that ship and he was behind her and something was being spread. <laughs> oh, boy. Oof. Now we uh, go to BAU because now we have a case since we have our body. Yeah, a, little, a little mini travel by Kodak as we we saw the body and then it's in a photo, which pulls out is on the screen where JJ is. Yep. Um, apparently, this is our third victim in the last two months. This guy's name was Charles Louvet. Uh, he was in the water for about an hour before he was found. And there was no attempt to actually weigh the body down or anything. So that was of note. So the three victims that they have were all male between the age of 25 to 35. And they were all traveling at the time that they were found. So they were all visitors to Miami. 
All of them were killed by asphyxiation. There was no signs of any sexual assault. So they're thinking maybe it could have been robberies because they did all have a few personal items that were missing. I should mention at at some point here, Garcia arrives into the office late from her booty call. (laughs) I guess she really was having trouble getting up the next day. And uh, well, no, she didn't have trouble getting up the next day. Kevin cut the power. And so her alarm clock oh, wasn't good. plugged in. Okay. Yes. I did. Yes. Put two and one and two to one and two together. <laughs> Make three. three. Can fine. Right, okay. <laughs> yes. So she's late, and Hotch, in his usual Hotch self, says, "Oh no, it's okay. Everybody's allowed to be late." And then he says, "Once that <laughs> Hotch means business, and uh, he'll give her this one." But that's it, Garcia. Anyway, there's uh, no signs of trauma on the bodies, I should mention. They said something about a hyroid bone or something not being broken. And all that indicates as there was no physical trauma on them. So they figure out that perhaps it was a chokehold, which would make sense because all of these victims looked pretty fit. And Reed points out that's one way you could subdue someone that might be big and strong, you know, doing a chokehold from behind. Yeah, a sleeper hold of some sort. We've all watched WWE back in the day. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Our victim, Charles Louvet, was found in the water. Daniel Brown was buried in sand. And one Paul Hayes was stuffed in a dumpster. So they figure that there was no real effort to hide these uh, bodies. And it's important for them to get on the case because there's actually four other people missing at that moment that fit the general same description of these current victims. By the way, one other thing they tell us about Charles Louvet, he was a cop. <gasps> yes. So he was a visiting cop, and we go to credits. Criminal minds, criminal minds, criminal minds, criminal minds. It's criminal minds. And we feel like JJ must be pretty important to this episode because she's the one who gives us our opening quote. There are no secrets better kept then the secrets that everybody guesses, George Bernard Shaw. So uh, we're back in our, our Miami area. We see SUVs arriving at the police station. And uh, this is when we meet our local detective. After Reed says something, it's about hot, about it being hot. We meet our detective, which I thought was kind of interesting how they placed that there. And I don't want to say anything, but our detective doesn't necessarily look like your normal detective. She looks like she's a beautiful lady. Okay, fair. I mean, I'll put it that way. I'll well, be. I, I won't will, say what I was going to say. I, I, I will put it to. I will put it to you that um, uh, you know when the when the BAU pulls up for no reason. There's a shot of two women from the neck down walking away uh, so it's like you know it's like suv suv legs and then they come out and kind of morgan kind of like turns his head to look at the legs as they go so when reed says boy it sure is hot like morgan's kind of like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right so right off the bat it's like hot oh hot oh hot oh, hot and it was, of a course a male gaze in this episode yeah let's put it that way and of course, or male gaze. <laughs> okay, sorry. Hey, two, sorry three, about four. that. We'll get there. <laughs> but yes, Detective um, Tina Lopez, uh, probably, 
probably if you had taken her and what she was wearing, you wouldn't have said, oh, she's on duty as a police officer. You probably would have said, is she the shot girl at the local bar? (laughs) Yes. She's dressed for a night on the town. She's not dressed for work. And of course, she introduces herself to Morgan first, or Morgan introduces himself to her because they weren't figuring out that she was the cop. And when they do, they even exchange first names. <laughs> There's a little bit of uh, a little bit of in, uh, intensity or connection between the two, I should say. <laughs> Morgan, Derek. <laughs> yes, exactly. JJ introduces herself and the rest of the team, and she fires all their names off. And Detective Lopez is like, I'm, I'm pretty bad with names, <laughs> to which Rossi said, and I thought this was a nice line, agent will be fine. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it is a lot of people there. It, it, it goes to, yeah. you know, we're, we're, we're episode 17, you know, you, you know, you're just like two or three of them, but it's like, oh, hi, and I'm JJ, and this is Emily, and this is Rossi, and that's hot. Over there's Dr. Reed. Exactly. So then all of a sudden, Prentice notices there's a cop arriving, and hey, AJ, hey, we've seen this guy before. Bad accent and all. <laughs> this is our cop from New Orleans, who was actually way back in, like, near the end of season two, or as they established for us about a year ago, uh, <laughs> that they worked on a case. This is uh, Detective LaMontagne, AJ. Yeah, LaMontagne, we got a play called Jones. We thought his guy named Jones was a play named Jones. We figured out mom and dad had his very happy now. We solved the case. Thank you very much. Yes, he is there. And when JJ greets him, there's a little bit of, I would say, almost a blush or a flush. Like she's sort of trying to pass off. She looks like she's like, seen a ghost. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and. One thing I've come to print, uh, appreciate about Prentice is she seems to notice everything like this when it happens. <laughs> uh, she seems to have her eyes on all sorts of little moments like that. So she does definitely notice how uh, JJ's behavior is towards La Montaigne here. And he's actually there. If you're wondering why he's there, uh, he's there to identify the cop because apparently uh, he was partners with the cop that was out there on vacation. Um, And it's his job. He's not there to investigate. He's just out there to identify the body. And then he has to, he's going to be the one that's going to have to notify the fiance and everything, give her the bad news. So he, he wants to know what happened here. He's looking for answers. Yeah, and he so he basically explains to, to Lopez that that's what he's there for, and that you know, oh, you know each other, oh yes, and she's just like professionally, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and like yeah, yeah, they help me with the case. Remember season two? Oh, don't, don't go back, check the backlogs. Just, just you should be streaming this in order and binging, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Paramount Plus, Paramount Plus, we're on Paramount Plus, people. <laughs> Paramount Plus. So apparently this cop, Charles Louvet, came all by himself to Miami. He was going to meet buddies for a regatta. As you do. <laughs> yes. And uh, for those of you who don't know, a regatta is a sporting event consisting of a series of boat or yacht races. And not a type of cheese they have in the <laughs> And apparently uh, this victim, the cop, doesn't have any connection to any of the other victims. So all of the victims that we have so far were traveling alone, basically, for all intents and purposes. And we get a little brief scene between J.J. and La Montaigne. 
Uh, she's kept it hidden well, AJ, but apparently they have a, a relationship that's been going on. And La Montaigne is like, professional, what was that all about? Are you ashamed of me? Do your friends not know where you go every weekend? I'm like, every weekend? Damn. So <laughs> apparently this is uh, this is something a little serious here. Um, he wants to know if she's ashamed of him or something. And she's just like, no, it's nobody's business. I, you know, there's enough profiling. I don't want nobody profiling my personal life. You know, she is it's pretty awkward about it. And uh, to him, awkward sounds like ashamed. That's the gist of the conversation here. Don't worry. We'll, we'll have that conversation again. <laughs> yeah. But that was a nice little piece of juicy yeah. info. I like, I, like, I like the fact that they're like, you know, we don't see these people when the episodes are off. So <laughs> they have right. personal lives. And, and I mean, would I rather see some of their dates than perhaps the whipped cream adventures of Adam and Kevin Lynch? <laughs> Maybe? <laughs> we did notice a little flirty, flirty between them back in that original episode yeah, when it they ended. Were the he drinks on duty she doesn't but they were a little flirty flirty sure sure there was something oh here's my number in case you ever need me (laughs) so uh next we cut to inside the police station and they're looking at some evidence that was pulled from one of the victims hotel room paul hayes and uh, prentice and rossi are there with uh lopez and they're looking at the evidence and then lopez after she's making sure that they're okay says she's going to go take the skinny kid and Derek to the dump site to go check that out. And after she leaves, Rossi and Prentice immediately start talking about her, Lopez. And uh, Rossi's like, oh, so she's bad with names. And Prentice says, oh, she remembered Derek's name. (laughs) So there she goes again, noticing. I think that's Prentice's job, to notice any sort of possible romantic uh, connections. Prentice is, is all about it. I just like the fact that this 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 episode they're upfront with it, and it's it's you know a very LOL you know kind of ha ha way to do it. But all these people work so closely together, and they're so talented at being profilers. Like there are no secrets in this group whatsoever. Yeah. They all know everything, and I like the way that the characters all play it off. Like, oh well, I can keep this a secret. They're all just like, no, you can't. <laughs> right? <It's, laughs> don't even try it. One thing they do find as they're looking over the evidence, it seems like this guy, Paul Hayes, didn't wear any of the suits that he packed for his trip. Um, They also look at his PDA, and although it's chock full of information for the last six months, it doesn't have any appointments at all listed for this particular week. And he was wearing running clothes when he was uh, killed. However, his wedding ring was there, so they're like, who takes off their wedding ring to jog? And and, uh, and, and, yeah. and while I get where they're going at here, I'm going to counter that you're in Miami. It's hot. You're doing a hot activity. Your hand is going to bloat. You might take your wedding ring off to go jogging because that finger is going to swell up something fierce and you might not have any circulation in that finger. So I'm going to say that's the only thing about that I don't agree with. I know the premises. He's taking his wedding ring off to look single. I get that. I'm just saying, it's Miami. It's hot. I would agree with you, although I will say I I never take my wedding ring off. I just, I probably wouldn't 
to go jogging, but I'm not in Miami and I don't jog. So <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying <laughs> if the ring's a little tight, you know, you, you get married at the age of, you know, 25 and now you're, you're, you're 35 and you've put on some pounds and <laughs> the ring is really tight. Now I could see it. it it's okay. not necessarily a sin, you know, apropos of anything nefarious or ooh, underhanded shady. Gotcha. La Montaigne, next we see at the uh, corner, and he's confirming that the body is indeed his partner, Charlie Louvet. Also, JJ and Hotch are there. It was just a quick little scene to confirm that it's who they thought it was. Unless you have anything else. (laughs) (laughs) No, you know, again, it's just another chance to put the two of them in the room together with somebody else in the room. So, like, they can't really talk about it. And you could could tell that La Montaigne is very upset and needs a minute. And she wants to comfort him, but she doesn't because Hotch is there. So, you know, it's that. (laughs) Just a, a little tension ratchet up there. That's all. Exactly. We next cut to the beach, uh, which is one of the dump sites, and Detective Lopez is there. She's pointing out to the skinny one, a.k.a. Reed, and Morgan, a.k.a. Derek. (laughs) Uh, She's pointing out the dumpster where Paul Hayes' body was found. Um, It's in a very open place, just like the other ones, you know, it's clear that he was probably killed there. There wasn't, like, any sort of Let's go and drag this guy across the beach. I mean, there'd be too many people there. And in fact, Reed thinks that there's probably some guys around the beach uh, in that area there that that probably knew or met up with this unsub. Because if they were travelers, they would probably ask the locals for help or show them around, et cetera, et cetera. And like I said, why would they ask why would a killer drag a body across the beach? He wouldn't. He was probably already there at the scene. Yes, and I mean, I'm I'm surprised they didn't then immediately ask Garcia to click it a clack and check every concierge within a ten mile radius. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's usually what they do with these episodes. But yeah, okay, it's someone local makes sense. Exactly. We then cut over to Hotch, JJ, and La Montaigne, and they are at Louvet's hotel room, and they're looking it over and. They can't find his gun and his detective shield. So apparently our unsub has taken those items. They do find a slip that indicates he rented a car, a Mercury Sable. So Hotch is going to get Garcia to try to track that down. He goes off. La Montaigne reaches over to touch JJ on the arm. And JJ is quite sensitive about it. She's like, don't. And I don't think it was like one of those kind of touches. No, no. I think he was just. just, He was just trying to get past her. Excuse me. Excuse me. Get out of the way. And she just misinterpreted it because she's hypersensitive right now. And like, don't. And would would you like to do the honors of what Lamontaine says? Or would you like me to do it? Uh, He says he's standing in his dead partner's room. And you think he's in the mood for some grab ass, huh? Uh, (laughs) I believe it's a little bit more like this. Okay, I'm in my department room, you know, I'm going to move with some grandma. <laughs> I guarantee I'm not. <laughs> and JJ does at least look sort of uh, embarrassed by that thought. And, and, and as he uh, is saying that, she apologizes. But also for the plot, he finds an ID bracelet 
little plastic ID bracelet, and he assumes that it must be for the regatta. Yes, and I am uh, completely impressed that uh, this uh, ID bracelet, that Louvet was able to get it off his arm. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because I've gone to a pension three days later, I still can't get the damn things off. (laughs) I mean, it's not like there's scissors in (laughs) in the hotel room. You try to twist pole, it won't come off, it won't come off. Yeah, it ain't coming off naturally. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, after that scene, we cut over to uh, Kevin and Garcia in Garcia's office. And she's practicing her Italian. And basically what she taught, what she said to him was, where was her liver on the map? Jinkies. Cute, cute. Haha. It's a cute, cute scene. Obviously, they've chosen Italy as their uh, vacation destination that they'll be going on. Aww. And uh, yeah, it's it's this is it's just, it's an unobtrusive way to get some character development into the plot because obviously Hotch would call Garcia anyway. We're not squeezing this in just to get Garcia in. He does need her to do something, right. and that's hey, uh, remember that thing called LoJack? <laughs> <laughs> does that exist in rental cars? <laughs> yes, it it does. Yeah, Hotch calls her to locate the car. So while she gets on that, we go back to. Detective Lopez, she's with Reed and Morgan still, and now they're at the said car that we were just talking about. Which means Garcia moves quickly. Already got it, sent it, and they're already at the scene. Yep, and Detective Lopez is impressed and says Garcia is good. And she's like, well, I guess you can't go wrong with the Latina at the controls. And Morgan, I thought this was kind of a cheap shot here. It's like, oh, she's not very Latina. I thought that was kind of like... She let her be whatever. Like, calm down, Morgan. You don't have to say something like that. But okay. Hey, but 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 Penelope Garcia is not Latina. True. <laughs> I know. I just felt like you don't say that. But maybe I'm 2022 thinking I, that. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't saying it disparagingly. Like, I, I just think it's more like, uh, look, look, look. You're, I'm all for for sisters are doing for themselves, and you know, she's no way OC. Okay, just change that mental picture. That's all I'm saying. and so anyway they're they're they get into the car and uh he has detective lopez start it and when she does the gps comes on and very conveniently since he hadn't returned the car yet the gps still had the last address that was being gone to in its memory and 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 this is not like a gps like built into the car this is one of those portable garmin devices that you used to have to bring with you just sitting on 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 in that little slot at the top that you've placed in there, a little stand at the top of the dash. But uh, I was a little, I was a little confused by the addresses there and everything because I would have thought that the most recent one would be at the top of the list, not the bottom of the list. But he went to the bottom of the list, and that was the most recent one. I was very confused by that, but maybe that's how this <laughs> device worked back then. It was a long time ago. I don't remember. <laughs> it's possible. It just seemed illogical. <laughs> the last one should be at top, shouldn't it? <laughs> you would think, but. You know, hey, (laughs) whatever. We got the address and Lopez seems a little surprised because it looks like she recognizes the address. Yeah, it took me a second because even though I've seen this before, at first she was like, oh, really? I thought she was surprised that he was able to find the address on a GPS. I thought Uh, like there was a second there was like, you not know how GPS works? Oh, oh." (laughs) (laughs) because it really was. He was like, and you hit the button here and you see his last address. She goes, wow. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) The miracle of modern technology. (laughs) 
We do next cut over to La Montaigne, JJ and Hotch, and they're talking with the uh, yachting guy, is how I wrote it. And guess what, AJ? What? There ain't no, there ain't no rogata, regatta, regatta, regatta. <laughs> yes, there ain't no regatta. Actually, they hold it in September. Penelope, Penelope, honey, it's pronounced regatta, not regatta. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the yachting guy was a little bit snooty, <laughs> as he points out that they would not deign to use plastic bracelets for their IDs. It, in fact, it costs $10,000 to participate in their regatta, and it happens in September. Okay. You got the wrong folks. Fair. I mean, look, there's different levels of these check-in devices at, at, at events and stuff. And yeah, it's not exactly uh, your local bar or your, your, your charity event where they're going to stick this little paper thing on you. But I've been to events, not $10,000 events, but I've been to my events over the years. I used to go to the All-Star Game and these Major League Baseball sponsored, uh, you know, you have to be invited in. They put these little cheap plastic things on. (laughs) Yes. I I get what he's saying. (laughs) But yeah, if it's a $10,000 event, they probably don't need to do that. Just like, and you are, sir. (laughs) (laughs) And foolish me thought, Regattas were, you know, a little cheap. Anyone can do uh, sporting events. Um, well, I, a, I got a rowboat. It's <laughs> can, like can I play? One of these things. It's like it's not a soapbox derby where the whole town comes out. It's a snooty snoot snoot. So yes. even though even the name, it's I'm going to the regatta. I'm going to the boat show. <laughs> no, no, it's a regatta. Yeah. So it is a little bit odd, and it looks like maybe Charlie was making it up because, according to La Montaigne, he would come out every year for this regatta. So every what's year up? This regatta, but he don't got no ten thousand dollars. And this is what do you mean regattas in September? Because he'll come this time of year, and this is the summertime where it's hot and everybody in heat. And I guarantee, <laughs> cayenne pepper. Um, <laughs> so at that moment, uh, Morgan calls Hotch. He lets them know about the address they found uh, in South Beach. Turns out it was a gay bar. Dun, dun, dun. Apparently, Charlie wasn't cruising on a yacht, if you get my drift. <laughs> um, so Hotch says, yeah, they need to rethink their victimology. I would, I would say so. We then cut to a swimmer getting out of a pool that uh, looks like at a hotel or yeah, something. And some there's a little public uh, bar uh, by the stand. Yeah. Area, yeah. And we don't see his face, so I immediately assume it's the unsub. He walks over to a guy at the little hut bar that's there, and the guy is giving him the look, and he looks and looks at him back. They flirt a bit, you know, something about death by a suntan. I just <laughs> was like, not, I I wasn't too impressed with their flirting, but you know. <laughs> Hey, you know what? As we saw in the first scene, <laughs> the, the flirty quality doesn't matter if you like each other. The chemistry's there. Kevin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So one of the lines, like I said, he uses his death by suntan, and the guy at the bar is like, uh, he can think of uh, worse places to die. And the guy that was the swimmer that came over says, well, firsthand experience he can say that's true, and it seems like he's talking in a bit of a an accent here, a bit of a New Orleans type of 
accent, French accent, Cajun accent. Yeah, he's a little. It's a little hard. To, it's a little hard to discern because we don't see him, and it's it's hard, you know, you know, to to really discern. Uh, also, the guy he's flirting with is wearing a cowboy hat and he's got a Texas drawl, so it's like it's it's weird. Yeah, it's wearing a straw cowboy hat. I thought that was interesting. But anyway, uh, he's talking about what do you mean? Firsthand experience. You can say that death, that death by sun, that would be true. And uh, so this guy explains himself by saying he's a police officer in New Orleans. And this other guy seems impressed by that. Uh, he's from Texas and he immediately gives it up that he's not in town with anyone. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking now. You know, when you meet somebody and you're not sure about them, you know, don't give up the information that you're all alone. And <laughs> I don't know. You don't know that. I get it. Yeah. He's, but I'm just saying after watching shows Paul, like this. I, I hear you. He doesn't know there's a, there's a serial killer, mass murderer on the loose. And, you know, he certainly doesn't know that he's saying, hello, I fit into your victimology. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes. This Texan introduces himself as Deke, and we then actually swing around and finally see this guy's face, and he introduces himself as Charlie Louvet. Uh-oh. What? He don't look like no Charlie Louvet. <laughs> and we go to our, a break. When we come back, JJ and Prentice are at the police station. They're drinking some water. Yeah, see, I don't know if you know They're- this, Kentucky, but it's hot in Miami. <laughs> Very mm-hmm. hot. It is so dry and yet so humid. Hmm. That's what they're talking about. That's the yes. conversation here while they're drinking the water. And Prentice says, uh, you know, at least we got something fun to look at. And she's looking over at La Montaigne, who's uh, uh, on the other side of the room. And JJ gives it kind of gives it the old fake. Ah, oh, he's I type of uh, type of response. <laughs> uh, it just goes to show that, you know. Who, who in this group is not a profiler? Well, that would be JJ, <laughs> because Emily practically says, boy, I would totally hit that. What about you? <laughs> just, wink, wink. Just, yeah. just below that, and JJ's like, <laughs> you know, if JJ was, was, was a profiler, she would have just gone, okay, how long have you known? <laughs> <laughs> uh, meanwhile, Hutch walks over to La Montaigne, and La Montaigne is asking him how he didn't know Charlie was gay. And Hotch says, well, he didn't want you to know. And La Montaigne says, so he flew hundreds of miles to be out here to be someone else. And Hotch said, no, he flew hundreds of miles out here to be himself. Oh, Hotch being woke. <laughs> yeah. There you go, Hotch. La Montaigne is wondering what he should tell Charlie's fiance. And Hotch says the truth. Well, I mean, you know, Hotch, Hotch, is, Hotch has already dealt with a marriage going up in flames. So. Yeah. <laughs> Just, just talk, tell the truth, because otherwise, you know, I mean, well, hey, he's dead, so it doesn't really matter. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so then uh, we cut over to Lopez, and she's uh, introducing the FBI to the rest of the cops because they're going to give our profile, and it's going to be a really quick preliminary profile because there may be a time constraint. Uh, they start talking about the four guys that are missing. Uh, two disappeared on the same day a few months ago, and then the third and fourth went missing within the last four weeks. And this unsub apparently is targeting guys on their travels. And if they assume that the four missing men met up with this unsub, the same unsub, 
he must be killing at, at a rate of almost weekly. That means he may have already chosen his next victim. So they need more info on the movements of the victims before they met the unsub. Try to figure this out. All of the uh, previous missing people were traveling alone. Uh, they were there looking specifically to meet with other men. The offender was probably in his mid to late 20s, probably familiar with the area, probably offered assistance to those who were not. He liked to study the victim. He liked to learn their habits. He wanted to know how to gain their trust. He probably frequents gay establishments or possibly works at one. And it appears he had some prior defense tactics training, which could mean that he's uh, military or recently discharged from the military. And he steals their possessions, but he doesn't seem to be pawning anything. This may be a hate crime, and we may have an unsub that is struggling with his own sexuality. Yeah, well, it was either or. Like, you, you know, maybe it's a hate crime, or maybe it's just someone who's struggling with his own sexuality. I will say this is probably uh, the most enthusiastic I've seen a local officer for. <laughs> She's like, ah, come on, the profile, gather around, gather around, children. The profile is about to start. Yeah. This is like all for it. I mean, I, I. I wish they had kept a camera on her because this wasn't this isn't the subtext, but this is my own personal canon subtext that I'm making. Where you know she was like, "Come, come, Derek's going to talk." Derek, no, Derek's not talking. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, then we cut to a bar, and we see our unsub and uh, and Mister Texas from the previous scene, and and Texas is really coming on strong to our our unsub. But our unsub is acting a bit withdrawn, like he's not really into it. And uh, Texas asks him if anything is wrong. And he says, you know, nothing. I, I just need to go outside and get some air. So it's kind of weird. It was like he seemed to be into it. Then when they got there, he seemed to be sort of out of it. Yep. I think it was just he, he's still trying to figure out if that hat's a good idea. <laughs> Do I want to see what someone <laughs> was wearing that hat? Because Deke, man, lose the hat. <laughs> We then go outside the police station and we see La Montaigne. He's talking on the phone. Uh, it, it seems like it's with the partner's, his partner's fiance. And he's saying to her, he loved you very much. So it seems like he sort of went with maybe a truth, but not necessarily what Hotch meant. <laughs> no, actually, uh, or I, maybe he told her. From his truth, La Montaigne's truth is that yeah. Lupe loved you very much. And he may have had this other side to him. But that doesn't negate what he right. felt about you. Like, you know, I, I, was, I, thought he, I thought he handled it pretty well. I mean, we only heard the one side and the end of it. but Right, right. At that moment, JJ comes up to uh, him. She's beat. She's tired. She's done. She's leaving. And La Montaigne is wondering if he should be worried about their relationship. And she just reiterates, you know, she doesn't want people knowing about it. But he does. And she's saying, uh, it's my business. And he, again, is asking her if she's ashamed of him. It gets to the point where she says, well, what, do you want to break up? And she starts to answer like almost like she was about to say yes. <laughs> it was kind of a oops. But then she starts to say, yeah, let's break up, you know, the long distance thing, you know, this whole thing. And basically, La Montaigne is like, look, I would just have liked the option to say yes or no and, or try to work it out if I, I wanted to. And you didn't give me that. And she does ask him why it's so important to him that she acknowledges their relationship to her friends, <laughs> which seems to be a weird <laughs> what, relationship. What you say question. that loud, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
And he basically just says, you know what? Good night, JJ. And he walks off. Yeah, I, 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 did, I did like this scene because it, it, you know, his his questioning of her was rapid fire. It's like, you know, is it is it me? Is something I said? Is something I did? No, no, no. You want to break up? Oops. <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was like, you could say, you know what? Lamontagne, you're a really good cop. <laughs> <laughs> you got that confession out of her real quick. He did. So next we cut to see our Texan and they're outside of the bar in the back. And uh, the Texan is smoking a joint in front of the what he thinks is the cop. And he's sort of uh, turned on by this, like, ooh, I'm being bad in front of the officer. You know, ooh. And uh, starts talking a little bit dirty. Are you a dirty cop, huh? You want to handcuff me? And uh, he starts to go at him, starts to kneel down and... Our unsub, all of a sudden, he's not down for this. He's like, disgusting, filthy, and he punches him across the face. He goes down, and then immediately he starts to apologize. Yeah, he's definitely dealing with some sort of split personality thing going on here. Because you you could just see he was, it's not even like... like, oh, share. (laughs) Oh, share. Woo, woo. son, even he's share. He's definitely doesn't. It's a it's a transition where he doesn't seem to realize that he's hit him. So it's it's not it's not like he's just an unsub toying with his next victim. There does seem to be some sort of mental deficiency going on here. Next, we see uh, JJ. She's back in the uh, police station and she's talking to Hotch. She basically is wondering what if perhaps Louve let his guard down. Because he could finally be who he is, no judgment, no fear. And what if our unsub sees freedom in his victims that he wishes he had for himself? So JJ is doing a little bit of profiling here, and I guess she's basing it on the experience she just had. Yeah, with- she's profiling herself. <laughs> she's like exactly like why like she, I could just see her like leaving like you know uh, Lamontagne just walked away, and she's like, why can't I just? be myself and be in the relationship I want to be in, not worry about my friends think. Oh, wait a second. <laughs> hey, why, why can't our unsub just, <laughs> you know, I, it, right. It's a good instinct, but that we know that cause we know she's JJ. She can do no wrong, even though she's <laughs> wrong this episode, but we, she can do no wrong. <laughs> yes. We cut back to uh, our unsub and the Texan and uh, he's uh, holding his head saying, you know, Oh man, that really hurt. And we get some weird behavior here from our unsub again. He seems to start mocking him, like repeating what the Texan is saying after he says it in a Texas accent. So it's like he's getting his voice down. And the Texan is like, stop. What are you doing? What kind of, you know, what kind of game are you playing? Basically, our unsub starts apologizing and he does seem very sincere. And he comes back behind him like he's about to hug him. And just apologizes again. And it seems like our Texan is sort of like, oh, okay. He's it feels like he's about to forgive him, you know? And he's just like, which thing are you apologizing for? And then the unsub says, for this. And then he gets him in a chokehold and starts to choke him out as we go to a break. I mean, again, I don't ever want to blame the victims, but... Dude, run. <laughs> Warning signs are there. 
he just punched you like a crazy person for no reason. <laughs> or, I mean, you could have assumed it was for a reason. And yeah. this maybe you could have told yourself, hey, this guy is conflicted and he seems to be bad news. And he just hit me. That, that's all I'm maybe saying. Maybe I want to leave. <laughs> yeah. We uh, come back from our break. And now we're at our new crime scene. And uh, looks like our Texan did not make it. <laughs> We have a male victim, Lopez is telling them, he's the same age group as the previous victims, and they happened to find Louvet's badge about a half, a half a block from the body. They didn't find his gun, so they determine our unsub is losing control. He's killing his victims out in the open now. He appears to be devolving. Lopez lets them know that actually he was interrupted in the act. Turns out there was a busboy who came out for a smoke. They talk to the busboy. He says the victim was already on the ground when he came out. And his friend said they were mugged. And they're like, friend? And the busboy is like, yeah, he said he was a cop. So he took off to catch the muggers. They ask him if he can identify him. He can't really identify him. It was dark, etc. I think he said, like, it was a white guy. That's about all I got for you, yeah. uh, basically. The white guy was dark and he was running in the opposite direction. So now I really didn't see much. Yeah. So uh, JJ walks off with the busboy and Lopez asks why he's impersonating his victims. And Reed says, transference. So this guy, whatever he sees in his victims, he wants it for himself and he hates who he is. So he's taking on their persona and he's targeting tourists because he sees them as living a kind of a lie to. And Prentice says, well, he could be suffering from Cluster B, which I think this is the first time we've heard that term, yeah. Cluster B. Yes, indeed. And now we'll get a gobbledygook explanation for it. <laughs> yes, we have to have Reed explain that for us. And uh, he explains it to Lopez. It's a cluster of personality disorders called the aromat <laughs> aromatic. No called the erratic, dramatic, or emotional cluster, an enduring pattern of inner experience and behavior that differentiates itself markedly from the expectations of the individual's culture. And Morgan does one of his classic, let's interrupt Reed to explain what he means. This guy is a sick dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate that. Because you, you get like, look, look, folks at home, we did do the research. This is a real thing, but you don't need to know. <laughs> That's what that exchange is for. <laughs> yes. And Prentice goes on about something. He is triggering this need of his to escape. It could be drugs, could be sex, or something that makes him feel vulnerable. And Morgan thinks uh, if he's living in these guys' skins, he may be living in their hotel rooms. So Hotch asks a cop if they found anything on this guy's body to identify him. The cop says they've got nothing. So Hot says they're not going to find anything here. They need to check this guy's prints, figure out who he was and where he's staying. We cut to our Garcia, who has already got that information from, for us. Clickety-clack, baby. Clickety-clack. Uh, Clickety-clack. Uh, the prints belong to one Deacon Rogers from Odessa, Texas. He's got a few minor arrests for pot and lewd behavior. And she tells them the hotel he was staying at because she found that in his credit card records. Yeah, I, I did. I did like what Garcia said there. Lewd behavior, which in Texas is probably just code for being gay. <laughs> yeah, I'm like mm, exactly. Some things have changed in twenty years. Some things have not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
And then we uh, cut over to Lopez, Morgan, and Prentice arriving at the hotel. The door is already open, so they go in. There's some water running. They go in and check the bathroom, and they stop the water. Clearly, this guy came and tore through that place in a hurry. He must have been looking for a new identity to take on. And Morgan says, oh, he probably thinks there's a witness out there who can identify him. So what he's doing right now is not about fulfilling his need anymore. It's all about trying to escape at this point. Yeah, I like that. I like that uh, sur- surmising there that like, you know, normally this guy's been waiting a week to live in these guy's shoes, but he, he knows he's got to make a, another quick transfer, <laughs> quick change, quick. I got to find somebody else. We then cut to our unsub and he's now talking in a Texas accent. He's wearing our Texas guy's straw cowboy hat. Mm. So he has taken on his new uh, persona and he picks up a hitchhiker who is a German individual. And he says something. Somehow he says the word dangerous and the way he says it gets our unsub to repeat the word dangerous in his accent. So it's clear that he's like picking up this guy's accent as soon as he gets in the car. And I don't know if I was that hitchhiker, I might have been like, you know what? I'm good. <laughs> I, although I might have. He's, he's a German on the side of the road uh, hitchhiking. And, you know, he's been in America for a little bit. I'm sure he just expects people to mock his accent. It, it, it's not like the Texas one where he was mocking the words or anything. He, it was it's just dangerous. Oh, dangerous. Oh, luckily you said that. Dangerous. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't like he just then went, speak to me, say strudel, strudel. <laughs> so uh they drive off and we go back to the hotel where lopez princess reed and morgan are are talking and they figure this guy thinks since he has another witness to his actions he's gonna have to up his schedule so to speak and he Which may kill just again said in the pre- in the previous scene they had gotten to that point yeah. so it's, it's, the reiteration here was not really necessary other than to trigger Morgan to then go, oh, wait a second, two in the same yeah. day. <laughs> yes. Remember, he says, remember how Garcia said the first two victims occurred the same day? Maybe the same kind of thing is happening this time. Uh, and in fact, why don't we profile those first two again? So Lopez says, well, Stephen Fitzgerald, who was the first one that went missing. He went missing two months ago. He had came down to Miami on a bus from Oakland Park which is just up the highway a bit, not far away. And then after that, we had one Robert Feeney who flew in for a wedding, but he never arrived at his hotel. So Morgan says, well, we need to question both of those families, get back in the files perhaps, and see if somewhere these guys have crossed paths. We then cut to a scene where we see there's a woman working in a garden and a BAU SUV pulls up and our team gets out. We cut to inside of the house, and Hotch and Rossi are questioning the father of Stephen Fitzgerald. And this guy doesn't seem to be too much worried about his missing son, even when they bring up that he may be connected to a murder case. And he just starts to say he thinks his son was confused. It's probably in a better place now. And he starts talking about his faith, and that's what keeps him strong. And he mentions, well, you know, you need that as a prison guard. His faith is his personal code. Getting kind of bad vibes from this guy right away, AJ, basically. I mean, come on. Like, hey, my son's been missing for two months. The FBI is here to talk to me. And I'm like, 
uh, uh, whatever. I don't really care what you you have to say. Uh, I, I believe everything will be okay. You can go now. Like, really? <laughs> yeah. And uh, Rossi brings up the fact that defense tactics courses are required for all in pris- prison employees, aren't they? So Rossi has picked up on something also pretty much immediately here that we'll get into in a bit. And we cut outside to the yard where Morgan and Prentice are talking with the woman that we saw. Her name is Sarah. And it turns out that she is Stephen Fitzgerald's sister. And she is telling them Stephen never called once he got to Miami. And she feels really guilty because apparently getting him on the bus to go was her fault. We cut back to Rossi and and Hotch with the dad. And he is, uh, they're asking him about Stephen's sexuality. And basically the dad is like, well, yeah, that's his sexuality was a way to get back at him because he was trying to save him from himself. Oh. Just dad of the year here. Well, yeah, uh, it's like the, the first time that we talked to them, you're like, oh, dad's an asshole. Doesn't even care about his kid. Because the, the right the right reaction is what the sister's doing. Like when, when someone goes missing or, or is murdered or whatever, the family blames themselves. We've seen that through two plus seasons now. If they're innocent, they blame themselves. And like, really, dude, you, you don't even care? Uh, so asshole, now homophobe. <laughs> yes. He starts talking about being a prison guard again and how he had to separate the men from the other men. And it was filthy. And that rang a bell for me because he was using the same language or unsub used when he was punching out Mr. Texas. Mm -hmm. And we cut to uh, the sister telling Prentice she's guilty because she's the one that gave Stephen the money to go to Miami. And she did it so he could go somewhere to feel safe. Oh, safe from what? And she looks back at her dad. So it's clear what's going on there. She, they ask her if her father was hurting Stephen. And she says, well, he believes that what he was doing was right. And Morgan is like, yeah, so he did throw him around a little bit. Um, they ask if, if his father ever hurt her. She says no. And as Morgan says, yeah, because she wasn't gay. Yeah, Mor- Mor- Morgan knows the deal. <laughs> yeah, it's clear. We cut back into the house and... Rossi and Hotch are kind of going after the father for his treatment of Stephen, because guess what? They're pretty clear now that he's not actually missing. He's the one that they're looking for. Yeah, it took him a while to catch up to the rest of us, but here we are. We come back from a commercial break and we're at a new crime scene and it's the car uh, that we saw before. Unfortunately, our German friend has not made it. Turns out that uh, he's choked in front of the car in the front seat, and it was the same car that our guy from Texas had. It wasn't a rental. He actually drove it over from Texas. The way the tracks are on the tires or whatever, it seemed to indicate that Stephen was leaving the city, and, and they're worried that they may lose track of him, and if they do, it could take them months to find him. Morgan is searching the car. He finds a receipt from a youth hostel. Among other things, he finds a receipt from a youth hostel dated from the previous night, and the name on it is Michael Aldridge, which this is the German guy's name, and I don't know Aldridge. That just doesn't sound like a very yeah, German I mean, name it, to it me. But could be his name, and you know we don't want to stereotype. But yeah. come on, criminal minds, make it easy for us. It was Gunther <laughs> Goebbels. <laughs> yes. Rossi is able to figure out based on the guy's sunburns somehow that. He was hitchhiking. Um, 
I guess maybe he had a sunburn on his thumb or something. <laughs> I, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it is I thought Miami. that was interesting. It is Miami. <laughs> Could have had a sunburn yeah. from lying on the beach the day before. Yeah. And Reed has figured out that Stephen probably took on Michael's identity right away and may have himself hitchhiked to get out of there. See, it, this was this this was the writers trying to justify how they're going to find him when they really could just have easily just said, well, we know that he likes he needs more than just encountering them. He needs to live where they lived. He needs to go to the room. So we have the hostel thing. Let's go to the hostel. Like that would have been simple. But they also need to split him up. <laughs> so so yeah. you know they're trying they're trying to concoct a way out of the script that isn't perfect and you know i'll overlook it but i i'll point it out though <laughs> and then they decide to check nearby hostels since this guy is stealing the identities and it's it theoretically there's a few hostile hostels around so now they've got to figure out yeah I, you know he could have gone to any one of them i guess i would have checked the one that was on the receipt but well that's the thing but no. he, they morgan found the receipt which they i guess they could infer that the unsub didn't know which one but would it presume a hostile like maybe it, it it's sloppy it's sloppy little clunky so the team splits up to check the uh hostels and they find one where there's a basement and people are killing people oh it's horrible it's oh wait no <laughs> it sounds like a movie aj uh, hello mr eli cut, are you in charge of this hospital i'm just a director here i don't, I don't condone any of the activities we cut to lopez and morgan they're outside one of the hostels and a woman there is telling them that yes michael aldridge checked in about an hour ago he's checked into what's basically a dorm type of room so an area that's full of people you know it's sort of like a big common area i guess that people would you can stay here yeah it's not it, like a hotel it's 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 the, it's the cheap seats <laughs> you right. get a cot but it's in public you want a private room that'll cost you more yeah uh lopez wants to run in immediately and uh morgan attempts to be the voice of reason he's saying you know the rest of his team is on the way and that they should wait but lopez is like look he's got a gun and he's in a room full of kids if you want to wait around, you can. So, <laughs> so basically, Lopez does not work for Uvalde. Yeah. Thank you. Two, three, four. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Morgan beckons the other two cops that are there to follow after them, and they all go after Lopez. They go into the main lobby in the hostel. We see a bunch of young folks hanging out at tables, playing games, talking. A general nice little evening. They run in with their guns out, yelling for Stephen Fitzgerald. We have a standoff scene, basically. Uh, they're telling everybody else that's not Stephen to vacate the premises. And Stephen is uh, now sitting at a table and he's playing cards with some dude and he's got his back to him. AJ, it looks like perhaps it was a little Texas Hold'em. I know you usually note the game. I didn't. Uh, you know what? I didn't. I, tell. I, I didn't really notice. Uh, probably not Texas Hold'em. I think he had more than two cards in his hand, but uh, certainly could have been poker. Could have been poker. So uh, he doesn't answer to the name Stephen, but he starts to instead put his hand in his backpack, like perhaps he's going to be reaching for a gun. And finally, Derek decides to call out for Michael Aldrich, which probably would have been the smarter thing to do right off the bat, quite frankly. Right. He turns around and 
that's what got him to turn around. And he's speaking in a sort of a German accent. <laughs> uh, what do you want? And what Morgan wants is for him to drop the bag. Steven starts to argue that he's not Steven after Morgan is saying he wants Steven. And he's just like, Steven is dirty. Steven is filthy. And uh, so they argue back and forth for a moment or two there. And finally, Morgan brings up his sister, Sarah. She needs him. She loves him. Yada, yada. This is what finally cracks him. And he starts to say he didn't do anything wrong. He puts the bag down, starts kind of crying a little bit. And start saying to Morgan, tell him, tell him he didn't do anything with those other guys. And it's sad. This is not he didn't. He's not saying I didn't kill those other guys. He wants them to tell his father that he didn't do anything with those other guys. Yeah, he he is a broken individual. It is very clear here. Yeah, he's guilty. Yeah, he's going to go away, but he's going to go away into a hospital and get help, I think, rather than put him into the system and just lock him up. Because that father did not do his son any favor. In fact, as they were arresting him, I said they need to be locking his father up for <laughs> for creating this this situation. Oh, it's, just, it's just horrific, horrific situation. Sometimes you don't need to have a lot of uh, body horror stuff or you know some really sick stuff. It's just the mental torture of parents can sometimes be the worst part of the show. Yeah. So they take uh, they take Steven out and put him in the cop car outside. And Lopez is saying, oh, that was scary. And Morgan says, well, he was pretty sure that uh, this guy wasn't going to try anything. And Lopez is all pretty sure, huh? And she points out in the guy's in his backpack. There was, of course, LeVay's gun. And Lopez and Morgan at this point decide it's perfect time to do a little flirty flirty. <laughs> A little bit more flirty, flirty. Hey, come on down to South Beach, Poppy. <laughs> yeah, I'll show you a real sm- South Beach. And uh, yeah, she, like you said, calls him Poppy uh, before she takes off. So I'm thinking maybe we might see her again since we saw La Montaigne again. I Who mean, knows? You know the pattern on this show, right? <laughs> yeah, we know they like to break it. Expect the unexpected, AJ. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's just put it this way. It's a CBS show. Uh, you know, <laughs> Reed hooks up with a Hollywood starlet, and so far, we ain't never heard word of her again. <laughs> True. We know what's going on with JJ and La Montaigne. So, you know, 50-50, who knows? <laughs> yeah. So next, Hotch arrives and is a little butthurt with Morgan. He's like, you couldn't wait. And Morgan is like, yeah, you know, I had to make the decision, bro. Had to act fast. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for being on my side. And I, I'm, I'm starting to get a little tired of Hotch and that perpetual stick up his butt. He needs to. OK, I don't okay. know. He's uh, he's going through stuff. He's going through stuff. that. That's the only thing I will say. He is going through stuff and he clearly sees that Morgan is flirty, flirty. He he. I, I'm sure in his own way, he's noticed that JJ has been flirty, flirty. I'm sure he knows that Garcia's getting some. He's just like, really? Really? You just took the blame for her when clearly it was her. You could have thrown her under the bus and you didn't throw her under the bus. And like, oh, everyone's lovesick. Just, <laughs> Yeah. So then we uh, cut to the police station and we have a scene where JJ is giving La Montaigne Charlie's gun and badge. And La Montaigne couldn't believe it about his partner. And JJ is like that he was gay. And he's like, no, that he didn't think he could tell him that he was gay. 
all he really wanted for his partner was for him to be happy, basically. Oh, Lamontagne's a good guy. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he starts to leave. And that's when Prentice comes up to JJ and she says, you know, you should go for him. You guys would make a cute couple. JJ thinks about it for a second and she takes off after him. She's like, I didn't want to tell anyone because, you know, then it would become real. And once it gets real, that's when people start to get hurt. And I always run away from that, but I don't want to run anymore. He's like, shut up and starts to kiss her. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was, uh, I'm just a guy looking at a girl, looking at a guy. <laughs> yeah. Just, just exactly. shut up with his feet. Just kiss me already. And Morgan and me, Reed, come up to uh, where Prentice is. And, and Morgan's like, oh, finally. <laughs> and Reed is like, yeah, what's it been, like a year? <laughs> so... They knew the whole time. <laughs> that's, that's such a great ending to this thing. Like she, she was going to break up with this guy because she didn't want her friends to know. And they've known from day one. It's like, that's just a great, great ending to this. Yeah. And the last thing we see is the BAU jet flying back. And JJ gives us a quote. If we knew each other's secrets, what comforts we should find. John Churton Collins. And that's it. That is the show for the week. AJ, uh, it, it was an episode. <laughs> it was okay. <laughs> I like, I like the case itself was meh. Um, the Miami setting, meh. But but the the, the interpersonal stuff I thought was 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 top notch, and that ending is certainly uh, a great button for for the episode. To like, it, we, we all knew Definitely. AJ. We we all knew. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so let's do what we do at the end of these episodes. Uh, the first thing we do is take out our bow-rometer, B-A-U-rometer, so to speak, and uh, we determine if we think the team has, quote-unquote, won the episode for the week. Uh, AJ, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I think this is this is a win. I mean, they, they, they caught the guy. Uh, they, I mean, Miami was never going to find this. Miami had his picture and didn't know they were looking for him. So this was definitely the BAU coming in. Clickety-clack, got the right thing, went to the right place, put two and two together, made four, subdued them without any further deaths once they figured out who it was. Yeah, it's a W, both both in the case and in the love department. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of heat going on. Uh, sounds good. I agree. And uh, the other thing we like to do at the, the end of a, each recap is have a little quiz. I like to call it three questions that were inspired by the episode we just watched. So how about it, AJ? Hit me. All right. I'll hit you. I'll hit you. You got two out of three last week, so I had to make it a little more difficult. Uh, uh -oh. I just took away the multiple choice for the first two. Uh, let's see if you can put this together. Question number one, based on what we just saw. So, Stephen, our wonderful, wonderful unsub, uh, was played by Michael Graziade, who has crossed paths with Shamar Moore before, back when both of them were on Young and the Restless. What was the connection between their two characters on that show? Be as specific as you could possibly be. So... I was hoping the question was going to be, what soap opera was Shamar Moore? Because <laughs> I, I could have answered, yeah. answered that question. Having never watched a single episode of Young and the Restless, I have no clue. I am going to say that 
Shamar Moore and uh, this actor on Young and the Restless were uh, members of the same. They were members. <laughs> uh, they were co-workers on the police force. They were fellow cops. Okay. That's a very I don't know. Be a good guess. Well, I mean, obviously, it's very so simple. <laughs> now, Shamar Moore played a character named Malcolm. And Michael Gragiade played a character named Danny. And Danny ended up marrying Malcolm's sister, only for it to be revealed that his sister was actually his daughter. <laughs> <gasps> Wait a minute. <laughs> uh, oh boy do you know if he knew uh well i think he did i think he did <laughs> well danny didn't know but i think malcolm was aware because i think uh <sighs> yeah they passed it off as being christoph st john's daughter at the time everyone thought it was christoph st john's daughter but it turned out it was malcolm had actually had relations with the woman and same woman as his father and soap operas. <laughs> wow, that was a good one. Okay, I, I, the fact that they were on the show at the same time, I had to look up the story and I read the story. And I was like, oh come on, man, <laughs> <laughs> this is great. This is classic. All right, well, on those same lines, question two. So you know, I was a big fan of of Deke in this episode. <laughs> yes, uh, and Deke's hat. Particular. No. Uh, so Deke was played by an actor, David Monahan, who played Toby on what show? Which aired an episode with the following description in 2001. Andy returns home for the cap and gown ceremony and is surprised but happy to meet Jack's new boyfriend, Toby. Huh. 2001. Jack's new boyfriend. So I don't know if Deke is typecast Toby. at all. Is, is... Only playing the... Yeah. Well, I could go with the guess of a comedy, Will and Grace, but I don't think it's just Jack. I think it's a different Jack. Uh, <laughs> Remember the full... Because none of the other... The full episode description again. Andy returns home for the cap and gown ceremony and is surprised but happy yeah. to meet Jack's new boyfriend, Toby. Yeah. <laughs> AJ. All right. I have two choices in my head, and it's probably neither one, but I'm not going to go with the choice that I, I think is really it, because I'm going to go with what I think you do to me sometimes, and I'm going to say, oh, wait, but the year 2001. Oh, Andy. Huh. All right. I don't remember. I'm I'm gonna say it was uh, queer as folk. Queer as folk is your answer. I will tell you, someone who appeared on this show and in this particular episode of said show uh, has already guest starred on our Criminal Minds. Um, next week, we're going to see another person guest star from this show. Uh, a few few years down the road, will Jack will guest star on this show. Uh, Andy has been on the show many times. Andy, of course, being A-N-D-I-E, sister of Jack, and played by none other than Mrs. Hotchner herself. Uh, <laughs> this is Dawson's Creek. 
Mm, yeah, I should have thought of that the one. Beak. I was think <laughs> I was thinking you were going to give me another Beverly Hills nine hundred two one zero, but then I thought two thousand one was too late for that. So oh yes, that's yes. why it, it threw well, me we off. We have plenty of Beverly Hills nine hundred two one zero, hence the uh, the prediction. Uh, we we will continue to enjoy our Beverly Hills nine hundred two one zero characters as they show up. Oh uh, for two, oh for two. But these were tough ones. Yes. I intentionally, I, I, I ranked, ramped it up, but I couldn't resist. Uh, question three. What will the plot of next week's episode be? Criminal Minds, season three, episode 18, entitled The Crossing. The Crossing. Is it A, a woman who has been dealing with the advances of a stalker? over several years and several cities, begs the BAU for help. Is it B? Hotch and Rossi go to Boston at the behest of a prosecutor in order to get their opinion on a murder defendant's claims of psychological trauma. Is it C? Reed once again returns home to Las Vegas, this time in the hopes of figuring out the source of a recurring nightmare from his youth? Or is it D? While the rest of the BAU heads out for a case, Prentice stays in DC to handle some required training and ends up having to help a friend of Garcia's out of a specious kidnapping charge. Uh, all of these sound like actual episodes of the show to me, which is what you do. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I don't know at all. Apropos of nothing, I'm going to guess B, where Hotch and Rossi go to Boston to uh, and help out some lawyer or something. I, however, you phrase mm -hmm, that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, that'll be my guess. Okay, you don't. You didn't narrow it down to two this time, and then uh, did a fifty-fifty. No, for some reason, this particular one jumped out at me as the one that sounded. It just sounded right to me, so I just went with that. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Well, I have played a devious trick on you. Oh, here we go again. I was hoping you were going to narrow it down to two because two of these are actually the plot <laughs> of next week. Next week is one of the two episodes where there are two cases. <laughs> uh. Uh, the team splits up. Uh, so yes, you are correct. Hotch and Rossi will go to Boston, but the rest of the team, the rest of the team has other stuff to do. And that involves dealing with a woman and her stalker. We will be splitting our focus. We will see if and why and how these episodes, these two cases in the episode cross and combine and loop into each other. Very interesting. If I had narrowed it down, the stalker one would have been the one I oh, narrowed sure, it down to. Oh, you say that now. You say that now. I gave you the out. I asked you. Cool. Well, that sounds good. I can't wait to check that one out. Uh, the Crossing. Uh, guess what? What? Folks, that's the, sh oh. that's the show for this week. Not me. Okay, fine. Uh, yes. Well, I thank you, AJ, for joining me. And I thank everybody out there listening for joining us. And we hope you had a great time. 
As we like to say, please be sure to subscribe to rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Be sure to spread the word and let your friends know about us. You can also write to us at feloniouspundits at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at podcast underscore pundits. For AJ Mass, this is Kintad Svensgaard saying goodbye and keep profiling. Wheels up. Miami. Uh, uh. South Beach. Bring in the heat. Uh. Will Smith.